Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis and I'm your host. And today I'm speaking with Noel Andrews. Noel has over 15 years of hiring and management experience as an entrepreneur with large corporations and with full remote startups. He bought Jobrack in 2018 and that helps business owners all across the world to hire well-educated, high-quality remote workers from Eastern Europe. Welcome to the show, Noel. Hey, Marquis. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we could uh, arrange this. I know with our time zone difference, it can be difficult. So I appreciate you coming on and taking the time out to chat today. Uh, I want to start off with, with your story, Nola. I know that you know you you bought Jobrack back in 2018. I'd love to just hear some background. You know what you were doing before that, and what was happening at the time that really led you to want to purchase you know Jobrack. How did you really get your start? If you can break that down for us. Yeah, of course. So I've been in the kind of corporate technology space for kind of 12, 13 years or so at that point um, in kind of leadership roles. So kind of hiring, firing, leading large teams uh, for kind of really, really large corporate businesses and always been entrepreneurial since a, a very early age. And I'd just come off the back of a year where I'd kind of stepped out of the corporate world and had uh, started up and tried to start up a, an interview coaching business. And this was off the back of, you know, recruiting lots of candidates and interviewing lots of candidates for roles in that corporate space and getting frustrated that, you know, so many good candidates were just terrible at interviews. And I had uh, one of these light bulb moments one day, realization that actually people have never been taught how to interview. So I was like, huh, well, I'm good at this. I could teach them. Um, and so I just kind of launched that little business and kind of tried to scale it. But certainly here in the UK, at least, that's not something that people kind of are looking for. The problem exists, but they're not kind of solution aware. And just at the point I was about to jump back into some consulting work, uh, Jobrack actually became available. Uh, it was either going to be shut down uh, if it wasn't sold. Uh, it'd been mothballed for a year and it was just perfect. It kind of it was true kind of serendipity. The timing was perfect. It was niche down already, which is really important to me as a business owner to have something that is you know within a niche and ideally niched again. Um, it wasn't very much money because, as I said, it had been mothballed. And um, yeah, it was kind of focused on Eastern Europe, which was a, a region that I had uh, some good awareness of and in the hiring space, which was something that I've been doing for, for years and years. So uh, yeah, all, all kind of things came together and uh, yeah, it's proven to be a, a good decision. Okay, amazing. Before we get too deep, I'd love to know what makes up a good interview because anyone who's been on an interview themselves, you know, we often will get, you know, intimidated or feel nervous about the interview when we're really, we're, we're trying to bring our best selves to that situation. And it's really an opportunity for us to interview the potential employer and for them to get to know us, right? So it should go both ways. But, you know, I feel like candidates, they get in their head about it and get really nervous. So what advice are you giving to these, these candidates? What did that training look like at the time? And yeah, I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a couple of things like number one is energy, right? Like, you know, when I do, when we capture videos from candidates right now, or when I'm jumping on a screening call or a full interview, I'm looking for energy. Are you awake? Does it feel like you're alive and, and interested? So that's the, the first thing. 
Um, I'm a big fan, like big kind of easy, to, easy, easy tip is stand up, right? So if you're stood up, if you're on a phone interview or even on a video, you know, prop the, get some books, prop the laptop on a kitchen counter and stand up and just, you know, your, your lungs can get more air in and you're just kind of more energized naturally. So that's a little, little hack. Um, aside from that, I think you want to just prepare, you know, do the research on the company especially in this day of, you know, remote roles, things like that, it's, it's more important than ever to really, you know, do some research, get an idea of who the company is, uh, read the job post in detail and just understand what it is that they want. Because um, then you can kind of figure out, is that what you want? And uh, kind of tie in from there. And the main thing is have good questions, right? You know, when you're kind of on the interview, you know, have good questions about, you know, what's it like? Why has the job become available? What does success look like? Things like that. And then the last okay. thing is really kind of crucially is talk about results, right? So when you talk about what you did, answer the, the so what question. You know, I did this, I did that, I did this. Great. So what? What difference did it make? So it delivered these results or it made this difference. Um, so they're kind of just some kind of quick little tips, honey, but that make, can make a huge difference. Those are great tips. I'm writing that down. So what? Um, that's perfect. Thanks for sharing that. And um, one last question here, Jobrack. I mean, I, I know you purchased it, but like, where, where did the name come from? Do you, do you have the origin story or, or kind of the meaning behind it? Only, yeah. So I don't, I think it was just one. They were looking for a kind of a two syllable name at the time, something nice and easy to say. And it was like a, you know, a rack of jobs. Um, and I think it just came from there. The business was actually born in a forum post in a community that I'm in. Uh, two guys talking about how great it was hiring developers from Eastern Europe. And they kind of like, were like, oh, maybe there's a business in this. And they got together and, you know, it was it was a side hustle for them, really. Um, but, uh, you know, they did did a great job. They created a custom tech stack. Uh, they got kind of brand out there a little bit, um, you know, built a database of job seekers. But it just wasn't their main focus. And so, you know, the opportunity came up for me. Okay. And you mentioned it earlier that when you acquired the business, it was already niched down, which was very attractive to you. I'm curious why Eastern Europe? Why are we focusing there for this talent? Yeah. So uh, the Eastern Europe is, a, is what I consider and many consider to be a real sweet spot of remote hiring. So there are, you know, there's many regions in the world that you can look to to hire remotely if you're just looking to save money versus you know, hiring in the US, Canada, UK, Australia, you know, the Western world. However, Many of those regions have some challenges. So whether it's, you know, kind of uh, quality of English language skills, whether it's kind of cultural alignment, and that's a really key one. So there's regions of the world where it's pretty difficult for um, kind of the workers to challenge you as a boss or as the business owner or to kind of think proactively, for instance. Maybe culturally that's not quite so, so common. Uh, and also kind of time zone differences as well. So with Eastern Europe, it's this like sweet spot of really, really great education really, really good English language skills, very, very strong cultural alignment and, you know, direct communication, almost blunt is, is almost just like it is the standard uh, across Eastern mm -hmm. Europe as you know, being a little bit stereotypical, but does tend to be, to tend to be true. Um, and on top of that, they have a, you know, much of Eastern Europe has a considerably lower cost of living that translates into, you know, us as business owners being able to pay really, really good and fair wages for them whilst, you know, still kind of, you know, making significant savings, uh, for us, which means we can hire sooner, we can scale and grow our businesses quicker, and we can hire again, uh, you know, and getting equal or better people than we can get locally for, you know, kind of 50, 60% lower than we'd have to pay locally. Okay. What does that process look like? I mean, you're a, you're an agency or you have a, a team and you're looking to bring on a developer or a head of ops or, you know, some kind of um, 
new talent. What would that look like? Walk us through the process at JobRack. Are they meeting with you or one of your specialists? Are they filling out a profile? And then how are we finding that best fit um, when it comes down to the candidates? Because I, I think a lot of what you do is to streamline the interview and recruiting process. So what does that all look like if you can take us through it kind of step by step? Yeah, sure. So the primary way we work with agencies is with what we call our done with you service. And so I use like a mountain analogy. So we're climbing the hiring mountain and we take on two roles. So we act as the mountain guide that's guiding you every step of the way, making sure you you complete it successfully and get the hire you want. And we also act as your Sherpas. So we do all the heavy lifting and carry the heavy load. So in this Mm -hmm. case, you know, typically over maybe five to six week process is about right. You know, we will understand exactly what you want and the right kind of person that you need. We then do all of that hard working with the hiring funnel. So we will create really great attention-grabbing job posts. We will create the long-form application forms. Uh, We will get out there and, crucially, we will source candidates because often the the best candidates are just not hanging out on job boards, you know, waiting for your, your job to appear. So we get out there and find them and source the candidates, bring them into that hiring funnel. Then we do that kind of, painstaking and often painful process of you know reviewing them filtering them we do screening calls we capture videos to basically get you down to a really really tight short list of candidates that we can review together uh, agree who to take forward into a test stage and you know we'll have a custom test that we've created with you that's relevant for for your role Uh, we put them through that test round and again whittling them down getting them down to maybe just three or four candidates ready for you to interview uh, and for you to, or for the agency owner to do a really thorough job of the interview process, which we, you know, we give a lot of guidance around there too. So it's very much a done with you process that we work closely together, but we take all of the hard work, effort and time out of that hiring process and kind of guarantee a, a really great result. And, and what, how long does the process usually take from, from front to back if, if everything works well as you had intended it to? Yeah, so nor- about four to six weeks is normal. Um, there are some roles that kind of, you know, sometimes we get lucky um, and we might do it a little bit quicker. Sometimes it's a touch longer, depending on how scarce uh, and how tight the requirements are. But about four to six weeks is about right. <clears throat> and, that, and that allows time for the, you know, the agency owner to be doing the interviews as well. And then sometimes then that's to the point of offer. And then sometimes maybe there's two or maybe four weeks of notice period for them to, uh, to work before they're fully on board full time and, and getting started. Okay. And are these long-term um, commitments that we're that we're coming into? Is it more short-term projects and gig um, gigs that we're trying to get placed for? Yeah, definitely the long-term. So our focus is at one hundred percent on long-term. What we refer to as team members. So you know, people that are going to commit that are looking for a job, a career, and they want to progress with you know your business or you know with the kind of clients, the agency owners' business. Um, we don't really do anything in the gig or in the kind of the, what I would refer to like freelance or project space. We can do if it's like a reasonably good length project, you know, six months plus normally. Otherwise, it doesn't often make much sense. Um, kind of, you know, our focus is on long term team members. So from a you know, legal standpoint, they are self-employed. Uh, you would typically contract them under a service agreement and we help our clients with you know, sample agreements and how to contract and how to pay them, things like that. But they are, you know, or in the US, it's referred to, they're like a 1099 contractor. So they're responsible yeah. for their own tax and social security. Um, you pay them gross and they invoice you each month. But crucially, despite their legal status, we strongly, strongly encourage people to treat them like a team member, the same as you would any hire, you know, locally in the US. 
um, because that's what, you know, that's what gets the best results. People want to feel like part of a team. That's how you build yeah. a great culture and, you know, really get, you know, epic, epic results. I love that. Uh, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on just the remote landscape as a whole. And I think I want to better understand what kind of companies are looking for talent that you're offering. Because we've definitely seen an ups, an uptick in the the amount of remote opportunities, right? I, I was reading an article a few weeks ago that you know projected that um, that twenty five percent of all you know professional jobs in North America will be remote by the end of twenty twenty two, and that number keeps increasing and will increase through twenty twenty three. But at the same time, we're seeing a lot of those companies that you know um, sent their workers home and went remote at the start of the pandemic are now coming back to the office. So is it people that are working in the office and expect their teams to work there and are looking for outsourced talent for, you know, these very specific roles? Or are we finding that in Europe or Eastern Europe where we are seeing that upswing um, in remote talent? What, what, what kind of trends have you seen? I'm really curious to know. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a huge upswing right now. And across all businesses, I mean, our special speciality is, you know, businesses, we, we help business owners hire their very first hire. Um, and we go up to, you know, businesses, we're in the low hundreds of employees. Sweet spot is probably, you know, agencies with maybe five to 50 or five to 75 employees. That's probably the, the most common kind of size that we work with. We're seeing a huge upswing uh, in businesses of that size for a couple of reasons. One, the scarcity of good people in you know, the local markets right now. You know, if you're in the US right now and you want to hire a software developer, the rates are astronomical. The expectations are really, really high. And the availability is, you know, really, really difficult. Um, and that's before we get into, you know, kind of entitlement and feelings about how hard people feel they should have to work, etc. And so, you know, a lot of agencies are just getting priced out of hiring locally. And so even the most hardened we want to stay in the office, we want to stay local kind of agency owners are having no choice but to look at hiring remotely. That then starts prompting some interesting conversations because then they realize what's possible. And I have a bit of a, a joke that, you know, once you hire your first Eastern European hire, you know, you'll be back for more. And that happens time and time again, because this isn't, I often have to explain that, you know, if you hire from a lower cost region of the world, and Eastern Europe is lower cost than hiring in the US, you know, significantly so. It's not that you're reducing the cost and reducing the quality. We're often finding, you know, people that are equally good or better for half the money. And that's crazy. And so then if you've got a business that you can leverage that, then that means, you know, more opportunity. Instead of having to wait until you're at 120% of capacity, which means everyone's already overworked and clients are getting annoyed, delivery suffering, you can hire earlier before you reach capacity. So that's a huge opportunity, right? You can deliver better service. If you know, you're anything like me, you know, I have my own kind of uh, you know, head challenges that you know, I will self-sabotage if I think we're getting close to capacity. I'll maybe stop following up on sales opportunities, stop following up, because the service is so, so key to me. So being able to hire earlier, have capacity, have the team you know, able to have like Google time, as they refer to it, you know, the one day a week or the few hours a week where they're thinking about how to make things better is like hugely, uh, hugely powerful. So, you know, we're seeing everyone look at it and we're seeing a huge number of people that are jumping in, but crucially they're looking and saying, okay, well, you know, I've had a horror story. I've had a nightmare before about hiring from XYZ region of the world. 
you know, why is this different? And so that's where we're seeing a lot of people coming to Eastern Europe, really good time zone overlap with uh, kind of East Coast and West Coast. You know, we, we can still get kind of half a day crossover with West Coast without too much, you know, late working. I'm not a fan of people asking team members to work till midnight. You know, I don't think it's sustainable long term. Um, so I think, yeah, huge opportunity and, and lots of people jumping in. And like I said, once they once they have a little taste of it, they tend to kind of keep coming back for more. That's, that's great. That was going to be my next question around the time zones and how we coordinate that. Because I know that depending on, you know, where you're at in parts of the world, a lot of remote workers will just totally flip their schedule where they're working through their night, you know, to accommodate for their clients in North America. But um, it seems that you figured out a decent overlap then and, and it works for the most part. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really common in the Philippines, for example, right, yeah, where, where people will just flip their schedule and, and work nights. Now, there's all kinds of studies around the long-term health challenges around working nights. You know, the human body's not designed to do that. And from a life perspective, and, and I always look at this, if I want someone to be a long-term team member, then they, they're probably going to want a life, right? And they shouldn't be living to work, right? We should work to live, no matter how great the job is and how great the business is. So when I look at things, you know, in Eastern Europe, it, it, historically, it's been really common for people to work through till midnight to match East Coast hours or even till one, two in the morning to match West, West Coast. Well, there's so many businesses hiring remotely right now with a lot of them, most of them not needing, you know, those kind of hours. And so if you're a really great a client account manager or software developer or whatever role you might be, and you've got the two choice of two jobs one that's like broadly you know central european time eastern european time which gives you like you know east coast gives you like five or six hours crossover quite comfortably west coast maybe three to four hours um which one are you going to choose the one you can go to the movies in the evening see some friends or the one that you're going to be shattered because you're up to one in the morning so that yeah i we i push back pretty hard against agency owners that want to do that if they really have a synchronous um like working re hours requirement then I'm going to signpost them and help them look elsewhere for those particular roles. And that's where people end up with like a really good hybrid arrangement. You know, you've maybe got some local U.S. hires. Maybe you look to Latin America for some hires because of the time zone, some things. And then Eastern Europe for some you know, slightly more asynchronous, really high quality people. OK, um, I, I love your approach. It, it makes a lot of sense to me. I, I'd love to know. Because we talked about this, and actually you just touched on this regarding you know being at capacity and feeling like you can take your foot off the the, the sales engine, right, or the pedal, so to speak. When, based on what you've seen, is the right time to hire? Like for me, I would want to know that my team is you know close to capacity or close to like eighty percent, ninety percent, let's say, and you have you know new opportunities in the pipeline. I'd want to bring them in as soon as possible get them onboarded, have them in the wings, ready to go, have them be reviewing our calls, get used to our internal processes. You know, when are you seeing is the best time for companies to hire these remote workers? Yeah, so I mean, it's like planting a tree, right? They Normally it's about like, you know, 10 years or a month or so before you actually do it. I think some of it is a function of uh, your cost, your profit margins, you know, where you're at with cash flow, things like that. So the ideal time for me is, you know, a good number of months before you need them. Right. So that means that they are through onboarding, that they are fully up to speed. They're integrated with the team and they've already maybe been delivering some value, you know, on the fringes of projects uh, before you really need them to. And so if you've got the profit margins, the cash flow um, and the lower cost of hiring, then, you know, as early as possible, the, you know, 
inevitably in the agency world, oftentimes profit margins aren't, you know, as exciting, kind of as amazing as, you know, selling online courses or information products, right? But if you, anything you can do to kind of flex a little bit, to bring people on earlier and to keep your like capacity, if you can, if you start with a principle that says, right, I want everyone to be productive four days a week. And then, you know, you've got some scope in there for kind of holiday, sickness, training, things like that. It also means you can flex into that when you need it. And as soon as you start flexing above what I would normally describe as maybe 75 to 80% capacity, that's the time to be pushing the button. But it just does depend on, you know, if you have a very small team and they are, you know, 80% capacity, then you you don't actually have much like kind of capacity to flex into. And if it's going to take you, you know, a couple of months to hire or six weeks to hire plus some notice time, plus their onboarding time until they're fully productive, you know, it's balancing, you know, how quick my opportunities come in uh, versus how long is it going to take to hire. So that's where I'm a big fan of hiring very, very, you know, as early as you possibly can. And, you know, just kind of balance your profit margins to try and kind of support that. Naturally, if you're hiring someone for, you know, 50% or maybe even less of the cost of a US hire, that means you can afford to hire a lot earlier than, than you otherwise could. Hey everyone, it's me, Marquis. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a bit more about Ditto. If you've been listening to In Systems We Trust for a while, you've heard firsthand accounts of how systems and workflows change the landscape of work for businesses and leaders across the globe. Ever felt like there just aren't enough hours in the day? Is your startup starting to grow and scale and you're wondering how your systems will scale with it? Maybe you're part of a widespread multi-level corporation that needs to update and overhaul its standard operating procedures. Well, if you can relate, Ditto can help. Eliminate team burnout, keep your best talent, and have a clear system in place to help you and your business achieve your goals. Visit thinkditto.com to learn more. And, and you said something that's interesting. You said that part of the consideration of you know timing is um, their notice time. So I, I can only assume you have a roster or a directory of vetted talent that you keep going back to, you know, as, as new clients come on board. But for the most part, I assume you're, you're putting out these job postings and you're finding talent that's already placed into permanent positions and offering these things to them. What is that like turnover look like, or, you know, when it comes to people that you have in your roster, are they all working different gigs, just kind of waiting, or are they placed in full-time positions and you're potentially taking them away from those for better opportunities? Yeah. So we do have a good database uh, of candidates. Um, what we would never do is once we've placed a candidate with one of our customer businesses, we'll never target them again, obviously. Right? I'm not going to, yeah. uh, that would be terrible. I'd lose customers really quick. Um, of course. So yeah. we don't do that. Um, we, so a lot of what we do is we are headhunting and sourcing candidates new every time. So oftentimes there will be in conventional jobs, uh, you know, in Eastern Europe or maybe working for other remote businesses that we don't, we haven't worked with before. And so typically notice periods tend to be reasonably short depending on the role. So most roles might be two to four weeks. If, if we get into senior developers, like really, really senior guys, that can be longer. Um, and, you know, in the US, it would very commonly be three or even six months. And so, you know, we've got to expect that it's going to take some time. But, you know, normal you know, PPC specialists, SEO specialists, account managers, operations people, you know, typically two to four weeks is pretty common. Uh, a month if in those kind of mid-level roles is more common. And 
And if you think to yourself what we would want, what notice period we would want, it's always going to be at least a month. You know, it's, it's not normally going to be that different, you know, at that kind of level. So, yeah, we're going out and finding them kind of new, as it were. We've got a good following, good database. Um, but, yeah, we're, you know, the candidates we find, they get placed pretty quick. So, uh, you know, because everyone, we all want the A players and the absolute best candidates. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. I'm, I'm sure there was someone listening that was wondering, so I just thought I would ask the question. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, I, I'd love to know what the dynamic looks like between these workers that are being placed and, and job rack. Like once you find them placement, do you release them to the new company or do they remain under your, your umbrella? Because I'm curious if there's any kind of ongoing education or you know pushes for personal development and ongoing training like that or is that fully on the the company that's taking on the talent yeah so it's kind of two answers to that so it's it's an area that we want to get a lot better at that's for sure so and that's with both the employers and the job seekers so, you know the agency owners so we want to be involved so from a helpful and friendly perspective we want to be involved kind of forever right so we want to be keeping in touch with the agency owners hey how's it going you know have you done their three-month review have you done their six-month review guiding them around like the good solid things that make up good leadership so we want to be guiding that we have no long-term financial kind of interaction at all right when we we get paid to hire someone and help you hire and then they are your team member you pay them directly there's no commissions or anything like that you know I, i don't i genuinely don't believe in that i believe the right thing is they're your team member and then you know the agency owner has the direct uh relationship but we do want to get better at that. So with our job seekers, you know, we are uh, very, very regularly kind of communicating with them, giving them kind of tips and kind of sharing kind of thoughts and thought leadership about what's going on in the remote hiring world and how to be, you know, a really successful remote worker. Uh, one of our taglines is, you know, serious jobs for serious remote workers. Uh, there's a lot there's a lot in the market right now about, hey, you can work from the beach and you can work from the car. That's not our bag. That's not what our employers want. They want serious people working serious remote jobs. So improving that education space is definitely uh, it's something that's in progress right now in fact uh, with our kind of social channels and something that we want to continue to continue to do okay that makes sense um what would you say is the most common problem or, or pain point that you that you hear from your customers um, when they finally come to you and want to make a change or look for some new talent i think right now especially is just they cannot find good talent they are really, really struggling, you know, everywhere in the world. Um, finding yeah. the best people is hard. They're often not hanging out on job boards, just waiting for your job post to appear. So finding the right talent is, is really difficult. The effort, <clears throat> excuse me, the effort it takes to hire uh, is significant, right? You know, we'd normally talk about 40 to 50 hours of effort to for someone to make a hire if they're doing it themselves. Uh, so the effort is significant. Um, and I think outside of that, you know, even once they have hired, I think the bit sometimes people come to us is kind of going, oh, I'm struggling with, you know, X, Y, and Z. And often it take if you haven't hired remotely before, the thing to remember is you've got to be intentional about communication. So where if you're in an office, there are lots of random moments that you will communicate with your team, you know, by the water cooler, by the coffee machine, heading out for lunch. And those, you know, random moments don't happen when you're working remotely. So it takes a little bit more effort and a little bit more kind of intentionality to make sure those things happen. So at Job Rack, for instance, we have afternoon tea uh, every Friday, 3 p.m. Uh, we have 30 minutes in the diary that the team just jump on and we just hang out and we just chat. Uh, there's no agenda. Uh, recent topics have included uh, how to psychoanalyze your partner. 
so one of my team members is a uh, has a psychology degree. So that was a, an entertaining one. Um, we talked about like worst movie you ever saw and why, and just quite random stuff, but just that helps kind of bring that bring the team together. And then we have you know, lots of communication on Slack, and you know, there's all kinds of different things that that we do. So I think you know for business owners, it's yeah the scarcity of talent, um, the time and effort it takes to hire. And then the, you know, just kind of figuring out that, right, oh, I need to be a bit more intentional about kind of communicating proactively. Interesting. I can definitely relate to that. And I love the idea of afternoon tea. I might have to steal that from you. Uh, Just on that, you know, with your team coming together on those those Friday afternoons, what does the team look like at JobRack? Are are you working with like a full-time dedicated staff for you hiring these remote workers and contractors love to know what the dynamic and kind of org chart looks like within the company. Absolutely. It changes almost daily. It feels like right now. So we are, there's 15 of us as of today. Um, we have mostly follow, focused around recruitment operations. So the done with you service and helping uh, our clients to hire. So uh, yeah, all in Eastern Europe, uh, all, where are we? Uh, all kind of permanent team members with us. And about two thirds, maybe a little bit more than that, are full time. And then we have a few part timers that kind of support us uh, in a way that works for them uh, and for us too. So, you know, we're very, very focused on long term team members. That's, you know, I want people that want to commit to us for the long term that are really going to get invested in us and that we can invest in them. And that's that's for me what makes a big, 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 big difference in our success is people that really, really care. So, uh, yeah, 15 right now. Um, kind of customer or hiring success manager, uh, one for the DIY side of the business, the job board we have, one for the done with you business, operations manager, uh, recruitment manager, and then a team of uh, recruitment assistants and kind of sources slash recruiters um, that kind of help us, you know, basically are out there sourcing and screening candidates. Uh, And then I have an awesome executive assistant slash kind of virtual office manager um, who's kind of supporting me and helping kind of, you know, kind of coordinate and bring the team together, do all things like afternoon tea and uh, a whole bunch of other things that we're doing. Very cool. Do you have anyone else in the C-suite that's helping from an operations or marketing or sales standpoint? No, no. So my, my direct team, my kind of management team is my, my EA and office manager, uh, my operations manager, and then my recruitment manager. Um, so that's my kind of direct leadership team. Uh, we're bringing in a, um, not sure what we're going to call them, like conventional term would be a business development manager. Um, it's quite interesting when, you know, out, we don't do sales, right? It's, we do consultations and we talk to people and, you know, very consultative type approach. So trying to hire a, a salesperson that's not salesy, uh, is an interesting experience. Uh, I've got some really good candidates in the mix right now. Uh, but it, it, you know, it requires me to go against all conventional wisdom when it comes to hiring salespeople, because, you know, the idea of what do they refer like hunter killer salespeople just turns me off completely. That's just not yeah. our bag. Uh, we're here to help people. If it's a fit, we'll let them know when we talk to them. If it's not, we'll help them and signpost them to, to places that we can. So uh, that's the next kind of key role for me. Just uh, I'm driven by my calendar today and uh, I, I need a little bit more time for, you know, kind of leading the team uh, and kind of the strategic side of things. Um, but doing that in a way that keeps our, like I said, our culture of, you know, my entire strategy is be helpful and friendly. Um, and initially I thought that was way too simple. I had to come up with something more complex and it turns out that no, I don't. That's a perfectly valid strategy is just, if we help people out, then the good things will come. Right. Uh, tell me more about your, your sales profile. Cause as you said it there, I'm sure everyone's picturing that like used car salesperson mm. in their head, the one that's pushy, the one that's super slick, says all the right things, but anyone, you know, that, you know, is, 
hasn't been hiding under a rock for the past 20 years. You know, we can really like see through those things, right? Like it it really becomes one of those things where we can tell when they're putting it on. So how do you get around that? Are you helping to coach these individuals or do you think that once they're set in their ways and they've established how they think sales works, you know, that that's just it. And then we move on and find somebody else. I'd love to know how you address that with some of these candidates. So to be honest, we haven't really seen many candidates like that. And the reason is because my my job posting is very, very clear about what I want. So my job post is extremely long. Uh, it has a video from me at the top of it. Uh, it's a very casual video for me, like all my videos are. Uh, I think I'm walking around on a rooftop at a WeWork office with London in the background, explaining you know what we do, why our clients come to us and how we help them and the kind of person. And I'm very clear in the video. It's like, hey, I'm looking for a non-salesy salesperson. If you think of yourself as a salesperson, this role is probably not for you. Um, But the role is around business development. But the way that we develop our business is through referrals, is through partnerships, and it's being, like I said, helpful and friendly. So, you know, we jump on a lot of calls with people who might just be kind of asking questions like, hey, I've, I've heard about this remote hiring thing, and someone told me that Eastern Europe was great but I'm really not sure it's for me. And so that's just a conversation. And it's like, okay, let's understand their business. Let's understand their pains, what kind of roles. Um, And they might say, hey, I'm looking for, I want someone to help me with SEO or help our clients with SEO. And so then I can share the kind of rates that they might pay, the availability. That often prompts some interest, but it's very much about just helping them and and kind of guiding them as to how we can uh, do it. And then, you know, we go from there. And like I said, if it's a fit, then, you know, we work together. If it's not, that's completely cool. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely, I've got a couple of really, really great candidates in the mix that are, that by the time this airs, they might be, uh, my, uh, kind of hiring success consultant, which is what I think we'll, we'll call them. Cause that's what we're about. We want people to be successful in their hiring. And, you know, on the sales side, it is just about, let's understand what they need. Let's talk about what we can do. If it's a fit, great. But yeah, there's no, yeah. If anyone kind of comes to me, you know, one of the questions is what's your favorite sales tactic? And if, if any of them answer and tell me a sales tactic, then, you know, that's it. They're out. Okay. There's no tactics, right? It's all just about being personable and yes. connecting with people yeah. and building trust and relationships. Exactly. And that in itself is a great tactic for weeding out the, the wrong fit talent. Um, yeah. I'd love to know, Noel, um, because you've been at this for, what, six, seven years now. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as we know, process improvement as a whole like it's never really done and you've already talked about some of the things that you want to improve in your process i'd love to know you know what has the evolution of job rack looked like from when you took it over to where it is right now what are the opportunities that you that you're seeing and and where do you see job rack going in the future so I think from the process side, you're right, it's never done. Um, There is a massive list of things that we want to improve to make it kind of more efficient, more streamlined, simpler, but crucially without losing the the helpful and friendly touch of what we do. So, yes, we can automate things, but some things we don't want to automate. So, you know, where we can, you know, I want to keep that kind of high touch there. So the evolution, you know, from the very start um, on the job board side of things, you know, we've put a lot of automation in there, a lot of things to make it easier for our clients that hire with us. Uh, on the done with you service that I mean that started with every time there was a sale I would have to manually create the Google folder I would manually copy the files across I would set the sharing permissions I would you know send an email etc 
that I think it's a 28 step process is now 100% done through Zapier, which is amazing, right? It's clunky, but it works. And Zapier is an amazing tool. And sometimes you just need that inspiration of going, what could I do? Um, so there's some things there. We are Asana based right now. And it is great for me personally, because it consolidates lots of different things into one my tasks view. Um, I am not a fan of it from a complex business perspective. Um, it's very, very expensive compared to its competition, and it's not very functional, being really honest. Um, well, that's the challenge we're having, and I think that's some of that is maybe we haven't invested right, but there's some real challenges that we have as we as we scale. And we've got, you know, when we hire for a client, we have a, what is it? I think it's about 130-step process um, across five different categories and subcategories, and it's, it's just not helping us and driving us quite as we want right now. So, that's something we're looking at. We are going to look and see if that's something that we're missing a trick on um, with Asana, but we're going to look at alternatives as well. Um, so there's, yeah, some big changes there, but also some simple changes. You know, we're always looking to our team to tell us, hey, how can we make this better? And, you know, as business owners, as agency owners, CEOs, we've always got to keep referring back to the team because although it might have been us doing it once upon a time, we're probably a little bit removed from the cold face right now. So... Yeah. You know, that is, uh, you know, something to kind of always remember. The, the guys and girls that are doing this day in, day out, there's the one that we need to get the feedback from. Um, and that's, that's where we're at right now. Going forwards, again, streamline, scaling. I think it's likely that I will move my team to a pod-based approach um, in maybe not this year, maybe early 2023 as we scale. So that is where we would have a pod of kind of, you know, a, a recruiter, a recruitment assistant and maybe a hiring success person, maybe not one-to-one, -one, um, but something like that. So pods of people looking after our clients, again, crucial for me to keep that very, very personal service and um, figuring out how we do that while scaling and, and scaling in a, in a sustainable way. So tons of process, tons of systems, um, because that's what lets us continue to be personal. And for me personally, continuing to do lots and lots of little bonjuro videos, which is a, a lovely little app that I love that lets me do very hyper-personal videos. I do a whole bunch of them every day, and I really enjoy them, and, and people really like them. What was the name of that app or the platform? Yeah, it's Bonjoro, so B-O-N-J-O-R-O.com. Uh, great little tool, and you can integrate it with CRM systems or Zapier or Stripe, and it just gives you a to-do list of videos to send. And you hop in the app, you record a super quick video, and it then puts it into a template that you choose and fires an email uh, into their inbox. And, you know, I'm getting, on average, I'm getting about 70 to 80% open rate. And I get about a 60% watch rate on the videos that are embedded in these emails and about a kind of 20 to 30% reply rate, um, which if any of your listeners can beat that, I would love them to get in touch and tell me how, because compared okay. to most email marketing stats, they are out of this world. No, those are great numbers, Bonjoro. I'm gonna take a look at that. Yeah. We use um, we use Loom in our in our sales process, mm -hmm. and, and Vidyard is another one that's really popular as well that integrates yeah. with our with our CRM HubSpot. Um, on on the topic of you know involving your team, I love that you do that. I love that you know um, you're always looking for ways to improve and including them in it. And your point about being removed from the process as the the leader as the owner it's so true right there's so many times that like i'll default to one of our business analysts or a project manager to to get an update on something because they're the ones that are doing it day to day uh, and, and i'm curious when does that happen in in your business is it more on an ad hoc basis are you doing a retrospective at the end of a a tough hiring cycle are you doing it once a month or quarterly how is that defined right now 
So we have in a couple of ways. So one is we have your very, very active ongoing Slack chats where we're always looking and saying, hey, guys, what's your what's your ideas? Um, we within our weekly meeting, probably at least every other week, we're saying, hey, you know, what things would you like us to discuss? What issues are you aware of? What would you yeah? what ideas have you got for us to make things better? Uh, we also have a within every team member's monthly one to one. We have some questions that we get them to answer in advance of the one to one that we then talk about with them. So that would be you know, how do you feel about the previous month? Um, what would you like? What do you think we should start doing as a business? What do you think we should stop doing? What could we improve? And where do you need most support in the coming month? Um, so there come a couple, of the, a couple of the key questions. So we, we're really embedding it all throughout the time. But we don't want them to wait for those moments to tell us kind of things. So it's, it's, it's a kind of constant conversation going, hey, what can we make better? Um, and then we you know, look at what can we do immediately? What do we need to prioritize a little later? Uh, but yeah, it's just a constant, almost like cultural thing. And I do want to embed it. I want kind of continuous improvement to be just part of what we do. Lovely. Okay. And you mentioned a couple of tools there earlier. Are you using Google um, Suite or, or Workspace? You have Asana. What other tools are you using in the business to keep everything on track and stay organized? You mentioned Slack as well. Yeah, we use Slack for communication, uh, Asana for project management. Um, they are the core tools. And, and I am yeah. I get tempted by AppSumo deals all the time. And I try and sit on my hands because, you know, I like things to be simple as well. Uh, Zapier as a as an automation platform that is huge mm. for us. That make that really really does help a lot. Um, and then a few kind of different utilities and plugins here and there. So we use something called Video Peel to uh, capture videos from clients. It's a bit like Video Ask, but a little bit simpler. And just thinking through any other key ones. They're the main ones, and we try and keep it quite kind of tight. Bonjoro, like you said, and then HubSpot from yeah. a CRM perspective, but just relatively simple. We haven't embedded it into the website. We're not doing complicated things with it just yet. That will grow and build. I'm a big fan of uh, being kind of a bit scrappy and just you know getting things in and using things and then you know build on them. Um, but yeah, as we grow, it, our we start to kind of stress test some systems, and so it's like, oh, hang on a minute, we're doing a lot of manual workarounds around some things right now that we don't want to be doing. So you know, as my operations manager, as her some of her time gets freed up, that's kind of one of the big projects for us uh, next. Okay. It's interesting you brought up uh, AppSumo there. I had to unsubscribe from their list because I'm like, I can't do this. Every single time they came out, I'm like, it's only 30 bucks. <laughs> you know, it's only 30 bucks. Why not go and get it? But uh, good on you for sitting on your hands in that case. What's even more, what's even more dangerous is the Facebook groups that are basically full of people reselling lifetime deals that you might have missed out on. So there's even a cure right. for the FOMO of, uh, of missing out on a deal. So, yeah, but again, I've, I've, ah, I've joined those groups too. That makes sense. I've always wondered, I'm like, why would I need to buy seven licenses of this one thing, right? If, it, if it's, yeah. you know, lifetime access for 40 bucks, that is a really interesting strategy. Um, we're, we're getting close to our, our, our end here, Noel. And I, I want to know, part of your vision statement is to raise a standard of living uh, in Eastern European countries, that is a huge goal. I'd love to know how you're measuring that right now. You know, um, within the business, or like, is it through your clients? What do those metrics look like to make sure that we're hitting and we're getting closer to that goal? Yeah, I think. I mean, it's not that scientific right now. Um, some of it is through just the sheer number of you know people in Eastern Europe that we've helped get jobs. Right, so that is a thing. You know, in almost every instance. When they work remotely, they are getting paid better than if they were if they were working locally uh, within the countries in almost exclusively. 
So just the sheer number of placements that we make helps towards that. We also are keeping an eye and keeping a track of salaries um, and kind of salaries, wa uh, wages paid. And remote salaries are increasing faster than uh, local salaries. You know, everyone's getting hit by inflation, increasing costs, etc. cetera. Uh, but oftentimes local salaries don't move that fast. So that's that's the big thing for us. And crucially, because we are, you know, our focus is on remote hiring. So therefore, we're not, you know, causing any kind of brain drain, as they used to refer to it, where, you know, lots of, uh, you know, people from Serbia or Bosnia might leave the country to go and get better jobs and better paid jobs in the West. That's not a thing, right? They're able to stay in their country. They're getting paid well. And then they are, um, you know, spending their money locally. Uh, so it's kind of contributed to the economy and it kind of keeps that keeps that all going around. So primarily about kind of like, uh, you know, numbers placed is the, is the main thing. OK, awesome. Thanks for breaking that down. Overall, like I love this service. I'm looking forward to connecting. I know you and I had chatted a bit about, you know, I'm looking for some talent. And so I'm excited to to learn more and jump in and see where JobRack goes in the future. Yeah, definitely. No, looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, lots of opportunity for all of us. All right. Uh, Noel Andrews, jobrack.eu. Um, apart from the website, Noel, where, where can people connect with you? Where are you hanging out these days? Yeah, not really on socials. I'm not big on uh, social. I did post my very first TikTok recently, uh, which okay. was uh, all about how excited I was to, uh, to delegate uh, something to my EA, uh, where she actually printed a document for me uh, to a printer in London from her kind of laptop in Serbia and saved me a whole bunch of effort. So, uh, yeah, kind of one video on TikTok. Aside from that, just, yeah, jobrack.eu. And, uh, you know, always happy to jump on calls. There's, uh, you can find me there and book in a call and we can chat from there. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time, Noel. Really enjoyed the conversation. All the best to you. Hey, no worries. You too, Michael. Take care. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there.